Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Well, hello there and welcome back in to the latest edition of the Last Word on Sports Media Podcast. I am TJ Reeves. It's great to have you as part of our discussion that we're going to have on several different subjects here on the podcast. Most prevalent, most prominent is obviously the NCAA tournament. It's the highest rated thing that's going on. It grips the month of March. Lots of discussion on that to that end as this podcast rolls on. Mike Gill will be here. I love Mike's insight with Phil DeMont Mullen on the Announcer Schedules podcast. Mike also with the ESPN radio affiliate in South Jersey as a radio host. I'm going to get his insight in particular on the controversial call at the end of the San Diego State Creighton game last Sunday for a spot in the Final Four. Mike will have thoughts on that uh, and a lot more, including the ratings, which I'm going to discuss in a few moments, and more. What what kind of ratings are we possibly looking at for San Diego State, Florida Atlantic, followed by Miami and UConn? Uh, We'll discuss that. The winners will play in the national title game on Monday night. And again, Mike and Phil go over the announcers and who does it well, TV, radio on the national level. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing from him a little bit later on on the March Madness. Before we get to him, we're going to talk about the mess, and it's an absolute uh, intertwined ball of spaghetti mess for Major League Baseball and the rights deals right now with Diamond Sports. That's the parent company of Bally Sports. And why is that significant? Well, Bally Sports, Diamond Sports, they're in bankruptcy court right now, unable to pay uh, rights fees to Major League Baseball teams that are in need of them right now at the start of the 2023 baseball season in a bunch of different markets. To that end, uh, we will talk with Kirk Bodenhausen of Sportico.com. Kurt has written about this situation, and I look forward to hearing from him about how grave is it for teams like the Padres, like my Tampa Bay Rays, the Atlanta Braves, the Cincinnati Reds, uh, the Minnesota Twins, and on and on that are looking for these rights fees, and not all of it is created equal. Kurt will explain that. How do they solve it? How does Major League Baseball solve it? Is there a real possibility that some of these games don't get aired in the local markets because of the feud between Bally's and the teams? Kurt will be here. Kurt Bodenhausen from Sportico.com straight ahead. Talks about that in a couple of minutes. By the way, thank you for finding us as part of the last word on sports.com 
podcast feed, the media podcast feed. Last word on sports media is how you find us through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. You not only get this show uh, that I host with the guests, but you also get two other programs, including George Offman's tremendous storytelling podcast series, Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. George's guest this week is Jason Bonetti of Fox Sports and the Chicago White Sox TV broadcast with Steve Stone. Jason has got a phenomenal story uh, that George is telling in two parts. Part one is this week uh, from Jason about uh, the roles with ESPN and now Fox doing college sports, the White Sox TV, his upbringing in the Chicago area, eventually going to uh, Syracuse University and overcoming cerebral palsy. A lot of people might not have known or understood until they've seen Jason in recent years that he didn't let a disability, that he didn't, it didn't turn into inability. He turned himself into a network-level star sports broadcaster uh, despite having a disability that isn't a disability for him. He's more than overcome it. And Jason's story is part of George's podcast immediately before us here on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast feed. Hear Jason Benetti in his own words talking about uh, his upbringing, uh, comedians like Robin Williams and George Carlin being played in the house and how that gave him his sense of humor. And now he has risen to the network level of broadcasting play-by-play on TV. And he's he's been with the likes of Bill Walton, Jay Billis, and others at ESPN. And now Brock Heward, uh, Robbie Hummel, and others with Fox doing broadcasting of football in the NFL. So Jason Panetti, Jason Panetti's that story. And again, uh, Mike and Phil with the Announcer Schedules podcast are on this feed as well later on in the week. So make sure you're following, subscribing, Last Word on Sports Media podcast feed, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and also find us through the lastwordonsports.com, lastwordonsports.com slash podcast. They're helping promote us as well. Thanks to Mike Kovacs and everybody uh, with Last Word on Sports for helping promote what it is that we do. All right, a couple of things. Uh, we do know this. March Madness is still king. And I know the ratings are down a little bit. Uh, our guy, John Lewis, who does a masterful job going over the ratings with Sports Media Watch and the historical perspective, he had the item out on Tuesday when the ratings came in that the Elite Eight ratings are down from a year ago, which is correct. But you've got to take into account a couple of things. Number one, you don't have the brand names. Imagine the NFL playoff weekend that would not have the Cowboys, the Patriots, the Packers, the Steelers, that that weekend instead would have like the Carolina Panthers and the Houston Texans and the Cleveland Browns, and pick one more, maybe the, uh, I don't know, the Arizona Cardinals, instead of the biggest brand names. You're not going to get the same, and the NFL is the extreme. You're going to get ratings for the NFL, but it's not going to be the same if the Cowboys and the Patriots and the Packers and the Steelers and the biggest brand names aren't playing in those games in the major markets. The household names, the ones that move the needle uh, for pro football, if it's the lesser teams, if it's the smaller market teams, if it's teams, again, like the Buffalo Bills that are in a in a smaller market setting, uh, the Packers kind of transcend the smaller market. But uh, for the ones that aren't as big, like in Nashville with the Tennessee Titans, they're not going to get the same as the Cowboys or the Steelers or the Patriots or the Packers being another one uh, or one of those. But in any event, to have San Diego State and Creighton and Florida Atlantic and Kansas State and Miami in there with names like Texas and UConn and Gonzaga – of course, it was going to be down some. But that that being said, for example, the Sunday night CBS game with Miami and Texas had over 11 million viewers. And we're going to talk more about this with Mike Gill in a little bit. 11 million viewers for a game being played at 5 o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday. 
I mean, that's not even prime time on Sunday. Now, it's it's less by a couple of million to the North Carolina-St. Peter's game last year, but North Carolina's a brand name with a love-hate factor. St. Peter's was a darling story, having beaten Kentucky, having beaten Purdue. You got a Northeast interest there. New York, New Jersey's interested in St. Peter's. So that's worth a couple more. But here's the more important point. Is that 11 million plus dwarfs anything in prime time on network TV, not just CBS, but Fox, NBC, et cetera, none of the programs on any of those other channels, including America's Funniest Home Videos on, on ABC or any of the CBS primetime programs, got anywhere close to 11 million. They didn't get anywhere close to, to 8 million. I think the closest one is America's Funniest Home Videos. I think got to like 6.5 million. And the Equalizer TV show with uh, Queen Latifah, the drama, the action drama that's on after 60 minutes, it got around 6 million. That's not even close to 11 million people that are watching it two or three hours earlier than prime time. So I would submit to you, and, and by the way, the San Diego State-Creighton game that was played before it, it got over 8 million people, right at 8.4 million people. And yes, that number is down from the window a year ago on Sunday uh, for San Diego State and and Creighton it it trailed Kansas and Miami a year ago at 9 million Kansas again a brand name but it only it only beat the game in 2023 by about 800,000 people 8 plus million people watching at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a March Sunday that's better than anything on network TV that night it's why I, I, I theorize CBS would be smart to do this, to have one of those games in the five o'clock window that goes into 60 minutes uh, on the Elite Eight Sunday. And they're in control of this. They can decide to do this. Then run 60 minutes after it. Get, cater to that audience. Have that news program that's been a stalwart there for 50 years on CBS. Go ahead and run it. And then play the second Elite game after that in prime time. And I know it's not a basketball lead-in, but the audience will grow on Sunday night, which is a great TV night, uh, much more so than even Saturday night on cable. That audience will grow. And if it's a close game, that that easily is 14 million, 15 million, 16 million, even without the Dukes or the North Carolinas or the Kentuckys or the Syracuses or the Michigan States or the Kansases. It's not or that it's or Ohio State or, or those uh, brand name programs, UCLA. Sunday night, you will still get 14, 16, 18 million people. And I'm telling you right now, as a ratings prediction for Saturday night, as long as the Miami-UConn game is not a blowout for CBS because it's network TV on Saturday night, they're going to get their 12 or 14 million. And it may be down some from what it was a year ago with Duke and North Carolina, and that was on cable. Duke and Carolina uh, a year ago had like 22 million people watching. I don't think Miami and UConn realistically gets to 22 million people, even with a close game. But it's still going to probably get to 16, 17 million people on Saturday night, and that's going to destroy anything else on network TV by double, if not triple, on network TV Saturday night. And I'm telling you on Sunday night, a much TV-friendly, more a better viewing night, it, it would do much better. And by the way, overall, I mean, TBS, uh, again, for the Thursday night, we've not been here on the podcast, that Thursday night, Kansas uh, State-Michigan State doubleheader game was tremendously rated for what they had had in, in years gone by. Uh, I know the Sweet 16 game 
um, there uh, that because it's it, it's uh, Florida A&M and Tennessee in the nightcap didn't do as well on TBS. But that first game with Michigan State in the Big Ten markets, the Detroit TV market and the Big Ten markets, that one scored on Thursday night as a Sweet 16 broadcast. So, again, uh, in looking back at, at what those games did on Thursday evening, the game on Thursday night with Kansas State and Michigan State in the Thursday night window uh, ended up having uh, over 5.9 million viewers on cable. And that was up dramatically. That was up like 40% over what it was a year ago in the Sweet 16 on that night. Gonzaga UCLA topped out just a little over that, about 200,000 more than that, just over 6 million. And again, it was a blowout game. Those are very strong numbers for that Thursday night. Friday night is traditionally not a good TV night. So the Friday night games on CBS, even with the two number one seeds, Houston in action got only 5 million. Alabama in action only got 4.5 million. But that's Friday night as the trade-off for CBS. That's why I think that Sunday night makes makes so much more sense. And by the way, just in comparison, while we have the ratings, understand that again, if you compare this to primetime games, all right, primetime games in the NBA, uh, for example, on uh, the midweek for ESPN, their primetime NBA basketball. That was on midweek dwarfed the midweek doubleheader that had Golden State and Dallas. And also I'm looking for it that had the Lakers playing someone else um, in the midweek on Wednesday night. Uh, That's what it was. It was uh, Phoenix and the Lakers on Wednesday night. Now, before the Sweet 16 games, Golden State and Dallas are on uh, ESPN which has basically a built-in million uh, fan base audience in prime time, no matter what they show, even if they're showing cornhole and cheerleading championships and other things in the summer. The Golden State-Dallas game had 1.8 million people watching. Again, nearly 6 million people watched Kansas State and Michigan the next night on TBS, dwarfing the NBA that night. The Friday night over-the-air broadcast of SmackDown, whatever you think of professional wrestling, it got a pretty decent 2.2 million number. It beat the NBA. That's nowhere close to even what the basketball on Friday night was doing with 4.5 or 5 million people on a bad TV night. Uh, The World Baseball Classic, by the way, for the ratings last week in prime time, unique event for the uh, the WBC uh, championship win by Japan, beating the United States in dramatic fashion. That got right around 4 million, just over 4 million people that watched the baseball right at 4.4 million. Watched the finale Tuesday night on Fox Sports 1. Again, the basketball two nights later that wasn't even the championship for Michigan State and Kansas State, as well as for the uh, following game right after that, which was Gonzaga and um, and UCLA, the, those games um, both dwarfed, uh, in particular, the Gonzaga-UCLA game, uh, dwarfing uh, the World Baseball Classic by more than two or three million, by, by right, at, uh, right at two million people. So, again, and that's on cable TV. Again, network TV, like we're talking about Sunday night, the ratings will be much better 
Um, and, and the landscape has obviously changed dramatically. I know John Lewis and I talked frequently in the previous incarnation of this podcast feed that after 2020, television viewing habits have totally skewed and gone sideways and gone crazy. And you can't get on network TV anybody to consistently watch for more than three or four million people. On network TV dramas, sitcoms, they don't have audience anymore. Live sports is where it's at. And that's where CBS should take a strong look at this. And I do not go along with those that say San Diego State, Florida Atlantic, followed by UConn, Miami, won't have very good TV numbers. Will it be lower than what was on TBS last year with Duke Carolina being the nightcap game and Coach K's potential final game, which it was another loss to North Carolina in the, in the Louisiana Superdome? It's not going to be the same as that. It, it won't be no matter how good that, again, how good that UConn-Miami game is or isn't, it won't matter. But they'll still get 14, 15, 16 million people, watch, that will be there, that will be tuned in on network TV. Network TV is worth two or three million more. As we constantly talked about with John on the previous podcast uh, incarnation here, network TV is a different animal, and CBS should take a stronger look at prime time on Sunday night for the Elite Eight on the second weekend of the tournament more so than network programs that are getting a third of the audience or a quarter of the audience on CBS. By the time they got to their 10 p.m. show on Sunday night, that 10 p.m. show had right at 3 million people instead of 11 million that were watching a basketball game at 6 p.m., 7 p.m. earlier in the evening. That's not supposed to work that way, but it tells you the power of live sports. All right, so I've given you some on the NCAA tournament. Let's get into the mess that's going on with Major League Baseball's start to the season and some of their regional uh, cable outlets and their rights fees with the local regional market teams. Let's do that with a special guest right now as we continue. As mentioned, I want to dive a little more into this story about Diamond Sports and about Bally's and about what does it mean in particular with the start of the baseball season uh, coming up. And in particular, uh, what's going to happen with bankruptcy, the rights? Does Major League Baseball take it over? How do we see the stinking games? That's a big part of it here on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast. And to help me sort all of this out, I love the insight whenever we can get it from somebody like uh, Kirk Badenhausen, who joins me right now from Sportico.com. Kurt has written about this mess, this bankruptcy mess, and trying to figure it all out on Sportico.com. Kurt, good to have you uh, here with me on the pod. Uh, you came at it from the angle that Major League Baseball in particular has a bigger crisis right now at this stage in the springtime, as we're getting to the springtime, than the NBA and the NHL for these regional sports networks because there's there's more of the major league teams. It's a bigger problem, and it's a problem that's about to be here for the beginning of the 2023 season. So welcome. I guess I don't I don't want to characterize it as something for you. How big of a problem is it? Well, that's a problem. <laughs> uh, no doubt about it. And those NBA and NHL teams, uh, they're, they're following this very closely and uh, have very vested interest in it. But those teams have all basically been paid uh, everything they're owed for the 22-23 season. Uh, but MLB, from a timing standpoint, they're just getting paid. Uh, and so those those valleys, uh, 14 valleys sports clubs uh, are very concerned right now about what kind of paychecks they're going to get. Uh, but they're in different tiers. Not everybody's that concerned. You got five teams that valleys uh, also owns the stream, controls the streaming rights to right now. They're all going to get paid. They don't have to worry about it. You've got profitable uh, networks like Valley Sports 
um, Southeast, which has Braves games, very profitable. That's not going anywhere. Uh, but but some of the uh, less profitable ones that don't generate uh, significant ratings, th those are the ones that are in trouble. Uh, so particularly uh, Arizona, uh, two in Ohio, uh, Indians and Reds have to be concerned. Uh, so So it really varies from market to market. I know that in your article you referenced uh, that that the one immediate one that is of interest is the Padres, the San Diego Padres. And I believe in the week that we're in, and please help me meander through this, there is a time period right now where the Padres are owed money and Valley still has a chance to come up with it as we release the podcast. But if they don't, this is a real problem, at least on the left coast with one individual team. Tell me more about that situation and why it's a it's a, maybe a domino of several dominoes coming up. Yeah, the, everybody's kind of playing a game of chicken here right now. Uh, so, so if they don't make the rights fee, uh, if they don't make the rights payment, uh, then then there's an opportunity for the team to take their rights back. Uh, and Major League Baseball is looking to uh, take control of these rights so that they have more opportunities to stream these games right now because there's all sorts of restrictions under the uh, current contracts that they have. And so Valley Sports, Diamond Sports Group, is looking to get hold of these streaming rights. And so San Diego, uh, and I've been told different things by different people, um, <laughs> that, you know, San Diego uh, actually, you know, the rights fee is not that big and the ratings are pretty good. Um, but but um, Valley Sports is, uh, and Diamond Sports Group are really looking to uh, figure out their finances where, wherever they can. So anywhere they can uh, use their leverage to get streaming rights uh, is very important to them. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, the, the problem is what happens to the Padres? Uh, Valley's going to uh, broadcast the games opening day, whether they make the rights fee or not. Uh, the, the problem is wh where does Valley Sports, excuse me, where do the Padres turn? If Valley Sports doesn't make the mm -hmm. Major League Baseball doesn't have distribution agreements with all of the San Diego uh, stations or uh, distribution channels that they need to. So sure, they can put it through MLB.com and MLB Network, um, but but that's not going to be broadcast to every cable home uh, in the San Diego area. Uh, so it's it, it's it's some there's a lot of negotiation going on right now uh, and. Now that it's in bankruptcy, though, everything kind of freezes. Uh, and this is going to drag. This isn't going to be you know, quick, figure everything out over the next two weeks, three weeks. This could go on years mm. uh, before this all gets sorted out. Uh, so it's really murky. All right. So one point to follow up on that in a second. But first, it occurs when you said this, that uh, is there maybe we don't know you're not in the meetings you don't you're not in the room I'm not in the room but is maybe there a motive by Bally's that hey there are some of these deals that are bad really bad deals for us and we just assume if the team the major league baseball team would be willing to walk away from the deal while we deal with bankruptcy and do a deal with somebody else for whatever they can get and baseball would allow it and go along with it that's fine with us is that maybe part Speculate with me. Is that maybe part of what's going on? Hey, Padres, if you want to walk away in my market, hey, Tampa Bay Rays, if you want to walk away, we're fine with that because we overpaid. We realize we overpaid. 
help help me yeah, is that even remotely a mindset for diamond sports and 100 percent. that's how they're looking at this uh these are they're treating this as 14 different companies almost we're keeping this one we're we're, we're just as we're good to get rid of this one uh it's the same thing that warner brothers discovery is doing uh with, with the at&t rsns they basically said we're out we don't want these rights anymore they're going back to you um now that is playing out this week as well uh a lot of people think that ultimately um Warner Brothers Discovery is going to pay the rights fees for this year because they basically said we're getting out of the RSN game right before the season's starting really hamstring uh hamstrings these teams um and but Warner Brothers Discovery is also a national partner with Major League Baseball through TBS. Mm-hmm. So so they're not looking to totally crush Major League Baseball right now in, as it regards to these five AT&T RSNs. So the prevailing wisdom is they're going to broadcast these games for 2023, show these rights, and then teams are getting their rights back. Those deals are gone. So you're talking about the Pirates, talking about the Rockies, the Astros, uh, the Mariners. These teams are going to control their own rights uh, moving forward after 2023. And that could be the case with some of the Bally's uh, networks that that uh, Diamond Sports says we're done. We're, we're not interested in Tampa. Um, Bally Sports controls the streaming rights. So they're not they're not shutting down. Uh, they're not ending their agreement with the Rays. Uh, their, their whole their whole future is based <laughs> to exist as a company. They need to retain rights and. They're starting with the five teams that they have the streaming rights for right now. And they have a national package, costs $20 a month. And the idea is they need to fold more teams into this uh, direct-to-consumer offering. Again, I love Kurt's insight. Kurt Bodenhausen is with us Is with us here on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast. He's with Sportico.com. He was formerly with Forbes.com. He's given us some great insight. And I don't want to go – I don't want people to get bleary-eyed listening to us trying to figure all of this out. So I try to keep it uh, a little more simple. Um, but, uh, I mean, in in – it's not in Major League Baseball's best interest right now to have this fight going on. So part part of this, I think, common sense would be, when does MLB step in to, to solve this? And how can they, with a bankruptcy court involved, with multiple teams and different deals for different amounts involved, how and when does Major League Baseball begin to help solve this? Yeah, 100%. They're trying to step in and solve this. But but to your point, TJ, they, they don't have the rights to do yeah. this because there are a lot of other parties involved. Uh, so you've got Diamond Sports Group. You've got the distributors. You've got the teams. Uh, Major League Baseball doesn't control the streaming right. rights. The teams control the streaming rights. I mean, in, in conjunction with Major League yeah. Baseball, they, they basically both control them. They both have to buy in to what's going on here. So Major League Baseball can't just just go handing out the streaming rights to all these people. You know, the Yankees, for the Yankees, they they believe they control the streaming rights and it's up to them uh, in terms of what happens to them in the future. Uh, and then you add in the complication of bankruptcy where uh, a judge is going to get involved and, and and parse out what, what's going to happen moving forward. It is, it is, it is murky. It is murky as can be. Uh, and baseball, uh, but baseball has for years and Rob Manfred, they've wanted to find a way to have games available everywhere to everyone. 
and through every platform because it's an older audience and they're they're doubly losing the younger audience because those fans they don't have cable and so they can't see games they, the games aren't available on the youtube tv perfect and, and, example and you perfect. Can't get if i can interrupt perfect example is who you're talking to so in my household uh my wife and i in particular our baseball fans, but we have been on Hulu for three years and not able to see any Tampa Bay Rays games, any Tampa Bay Lightning hockey games. This just into the newsroom. They're really good. Uh, the Rays are good. The Orlando Magic, not as good, but we're not able to see any of that because there's no streaming deal from the RSN here from Bally Sports with Hulu or with YouTube TV or with Dish Network. And so you're right. They are losing out. I don't have it in front of me, but it's thousands, if not tens of thousands that would regularly be engaged and would be watching because they're not on. And it's getting to the point where it's out of sight, out of mind. This will be now the fourth baseball season that this will go on where we have Hulu, where we're not able to see 80 to 85 percent of the games unless they're on national TV. We're not seeing them, Kurt, and that and yep. that's not that's not uh, something that is just original to Tampa Bay. It's all over Major League Baseball, the NHL, and the NBA in these different markets with the Bally's and the other situations that Hulu and YouTube TV, for example, as a couple of uh, outlets, don't participate with all of them, and you're not and you're not getting viewers, you're not getting people watching, right? Yep, and, and baseball has become such a localized sport. But that local market is so critical. We see it in World Series ratings, All-Star Game ratings. Uh, baseball in its home market is a very strong product, very strong content. It is the number one to first or second uh, ranked content in terms of primetime ratings for six months of the year because there's no competition through the summer, basically. So in your local market, it's very strong. But you're, you're increasingly losing the number of households that you can reach. Uh, so, so why baseball has the biggest problem is just because in terms of percentage of their revenue, baseball generates about 23% of their revenue from local media and uh, NBA and NHL are around 13%. That NBA number is going to plummet, uh, once they do their next national TV deal, uh, the NFL as always comes out the winner, they only generate 2% of their revenue from local TV, uh, and radio. And most of that's from local radio. Which That's isn't right. Going anywhere. Uh, the only TV local TV revenue is preseason games, and those aren't on RSNs typically. Um, and, and so that's the tricky point too here. But uh, a lot of the are uh, the big markets are in pretty good position because a lot of them control their own RSNs. The Yankees are on Yes. The Red Sox are on Yes, and uh, the Do- the Cubs are on Marquee. They, they own a big chunk of that. Um, and it's a very profitable network. So th- this is increasingly creating a situation where we have a further bifurcation between the big markets and small markets because of the, the small market teams are are the ones that are where Bally uh, Sports uh, is concentrated uh, their rights as well as the AT- AT&T with clubs like um, with the Pirates and the Rockies. The conversation continues in a moment. First, let's tell you again about our friends at Ticket Smarter and the Ticket Smarter mobile app and the offer they have for Final Four weekend. One more time, if you're trying to go to those games in Houston, Texas, and you're on the secondary market, we want you to use Ticket Smarter. Why do we want you to use Ticket Smarter? Because you're going to find the most competitive prices on the secondary market through their algorithm, through their technology. You're going to get the best price available with what they have. Plus, your purchase is 100% guaranteed. 
Your purchase is 100% safe with Ticket Smarter and their technology. You can't say that about everybody else that's out there on the secondary market. You can with Ticket Smarter. And we've got a promo code offer. If you're going to the games for this weekend for March Madness in NRG Stadium in Houston, use our promo code HOOPS23 at Ticket Smarter and take $50 off your order of $400 or more. The get in price right now, just for the top of the arena, is still well over $150. If you spend $400 or more, take $50 off with our promo code HOOPS23. The lower level seats are much more than that to get a pair of them. Right now for San Diego State, Florida Atlantic, Miami, UConn on Saturday, plus the championship game Monday night. Again, Ticket Smarter, the Ticket Smarter mobile app. Lots of great reasons. Competitive pricing, 100% satisfaction guaranteed on your purchase. Your purchase is guaranteed. You're going to get your tickets immediately, securely, through the Ticket Smarter technology in the mobile app. And remember our promo code HOOPS23 to get $50 off your order of $400 or more. Think smarter for the final four. Think Ticket Smarter. Promo code HOOPS23. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Uh, yes, and we could go on and on about the haves and the have-nots. We 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 know this. We know that for the big spenders, uh, it's a different world. It's a different game and how they do this. Uh, and the the other markets are so reliant on these local rights fees in baseball, like you're talking about. That's what makes the mess even bigger. Couple minutes left. Again, you can follow uh, Kurt on social media. Follow him on Twitter at k Bodenhausen. Spell it B A D E N H A U S E N. Uh, with sportico.com uh, tell me a little bit about digging this is a sports media podcast after all tell me a little bit about digging into this and putting an article article together like you did last week and how much digging you have to do and how many people you have to talk to and how many hours do you spend on something that we now see on sportico in 500 700 1000 word form etc give me an idea of the dynamic of that because i know our audience is interested in that as well uh, yeah, we've been we've been been reporting about this story for for three years now. Uh, <laughs> th- th- this didn't come out of left field. We 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 knew this was uh, we knew this was coming, uh, and and ultimately it was going to end this way. Ever, ever since Diamond Sports uh, was launched with uh, eight billion dollars worth of debt. Uh, that it did, could not generate enough revenue to pay back. Uh, so it was just a really a matter of time, and COVID accelerated. Uh, the issue. And so we really dug into it, though, uh, when we launched our uh, or leading up to launching our franchise valuations, uh, which have the Yankees on top. Uh, and again, big market teams are going up in value. Uh, we had 10 teams going down in value, though, uh, concentrated on teams at the bottom of the financial table because uh, one of their biggest revenue streams is at risk. And so uh, doing those valuations, uh, we talked to Talk to teams, talk to leagues, talk to media consultants, talk to talk to everybody. Uh, we could. bankruptcy lawyers, uh, all of it. We, right? We talked to we <laughs> talked to a bunch of lawyers uh, in terms of what was going to happen. You know, and nobody know nobody knew. And and you know, one person I've noticed that anybody tells you they know, they're lying to you because they don't know. And nobody knows right now how it's going to unfold. There there's there's no certainties in this situation at all. 
Um, uh, so we, we looked at it very much from um, in the reporting process in terms of how it's going to affect team economics, team franchise valuations. Uh, and then we had a lot that we could work off of because it is an, an, an issue, you know, beyond how important you know, fans being able to see games, which is what the fans want. Can I see my game team on Thursday? Can I see my team on Friday when they open the season? Uh, but from a financial standpoint, uh, it is it is more a critical issue for Major League Baseball teams uh, than any of the other markets. Any other sports leagues, I should say. Yeah, they are so reliant. And as you mentioned, it is really a great opportunity every summer for them to build for them to, especially if the team's doing well, for them to build audience, they have momentum, they're in the playoffs or in the playoff chase uh, without a lot of competition around it. Except now you've got this mess and you got people that can't see the games and it just continues on and on. Anything else in closing that I left out or that we should know about this, Kurt, including could some of it start to get resolved here soon? I don't know about soon. It will get it will get resolved though. It will get resolved and 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 in time. It teams. This is still valuable content. It it suddenly isn't uh, not valuable content. They just need to be able to reach people and through new distribution channels. The, the band aid is finally being ripped off, and we can get to the point that Major League Baseball has been striving for, and that ultimately is more fan friendly. These you know, fans like yourself that can't see games, that that's going to go away. So whether it's two years, three years, maybe it's five years before all this gets sorted out and you're going to lose a whole generation. Better, can I interrupt you? It better not be five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three is probably the outset. I, they better I, I, sort I, this out and, soon. And, and again, there, there's people within Major League Baseball that think 12 months, we're ready to go. Everything's good. I, I'd love to think 12 months, everything gets sorted out, but the, their long-term goal, what they've been looking for for a few years, they get to that point where you're able to see games wherever you are and not have any of these restrictions anymore and help particularly younger fan base uh, to, to, to hit those people uh, so they don't lose them. You don't lose them for the next 40 years. That's the big thing. You're you're missing out on the younger audience and the younger audience wanting their kids later on to do it. And the disconnect is definitely there. We'll see. We'll see if, if they get their house in order, at least on a certain level. I mean, again, we should emphasize what you said at the beginning of the conversation. This is not a problem for everybody across the board. It's a problem for what the 14 teams that are involved with Bally's and really only a problem for nine of them, if I understand you correctly, that don't have the streaming deal that Bally's may just as soon say, hey, if you would like to walk away walk away figure out how your games get on tv so we're not it's not as if we're talking about the whole league or even half the league we need to emphasize that one more time yeah no 100 but i put the at&t clubs in there as well uh because they're going to be they're going to have a big revenue hole to fill come 2024 uh and, and again some of the ballets clubs the braves braves are crushing it Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're not worried that they're not going to be getting but we know why that we know why that is because it's such an ingrained fan base because tbs in the 80s and 90s you're a contemporary mm -hmm. of mine built legions of braves fans all over the country but in particular in the southeast so they were always going to be crushing it we uh, to use your phrase and they're good so yes that makes that makes sense they're good now in the present day and won the world series recently they're, that's that's good if you're a braves fan but if you're the pirates if you're the royals if you're the rays 
Uh, if you're the if you're the uh, the have-nots down kind of at the bottom, this is big, big trouble, big trouble that has to be sorted out. And I don't uh, I, I don't uh, put you in the spot to have to sort it out. You just report on it and try to make heads or tails of it. I wish you well with that part of it. Anything else in closing that we well, should know I, again, before we're done? I, I will I will say uh, the Royals, the Rays, the Marlins. Uh, the, these are all clubs at, at the bottom of the table. Um, they all are those clubs have streaming deals with valleys. So they're going to keep getting their rights fee. Uh, so so uh, I don't think they, they should be safe uh, for now. But right, I, we'll I, hope you, I, I hope you can get to see your Rays games. We'll, we'll see again. We've done if, we've done we've done without them for like three years, yeah. and uh, and we'll see. We'll see if and, Major League Baseball and, cares and, enough. And and that and that's what happens. You find something else to do with your time, and then you don't go back. You're like, oh, I guess I don't. Miss it. I missed it at first. Yeah, I found other things to do. And Major League Baseball ought to be concerned about that very point right there. But that's another discussion for another day. Listen, keep up the great work on Sportico.com. If you don't mind, I'd love to bother you again in the future because I'm fascinated uh, by all of this. Kurt, thank you for the time here on trying to sort out the mess. And it is a mess uh, with the Diamond Sports and Valley's RSNs and what's going to happen with the rights fees. Thank you for hanging out, though, with me for a little while here on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast, sir. Thanks for having me, TJ. That's fun. The conversation continues again in a moment. One more sponsor to tell you about here as part of the last word on sports media podcast. And that is our friends at bet us. And they want to give you an opportunity to take a $50 chance, a $50 wager at the final four this weekend. All you got to do is go sign up at BetUS.com and put in our promo code bracket 23. That's bracket 23 to get a $50 free wager. No other obligations. Sign up and wager for free with our promo code bracket 23. BetUS has been America's favorite sports book for going on 30 years. And they do two or three things well. They give you the latest up-to-date odds, and they make sure that your wager is secure and you get paid fast immediately with BetUS and their technology. Go to BetUS.com to sign up. Get a free $50 bet this weekend. Use our promo code BRACKET23. Wager on the Final Four game, San Diego State, Florida Atlantic, Miami against UConn. Save it for the title game, whatever, on Monday night with whoever advances. But a free $50 wager is still good this weekend at the Final Four with BetUS and our promo code BRACKET23. BRACKET23, free $50 bet. You bet, you win, you get paid with BetUS. I've been looking forward to catching back up with this guy. I got to apologize here on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast because right after you and I, Mike Gill, saw each other in Atlantic City, where you're like the unelected mayor, the poobah, of Atlantic City, and we worked the uh, Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference title game won by Rick Patino's Iona team, past tense, Rick Patino. Uh, you were coming down to my area in Tampa Bay to come to Clearwater, be around the Philly spring training, enjoy the warm weather, the beach. Well, relative warm weather. It was a little cooler while you were down here. And you and I didn't hook up while we were down here, and that's my – I'm just – I've been busy. I've been crazy. But now here we are hooking up the following week as part of the podcast – so it is good to get to talk to you and catch up with you. It was great to be with you in person in Atlantic City. How we feel, everybody's brackets blown up. My brackets blown up. I got to feel your brackets pretty well blown up. How are things? How are we feeling right now as we head to Final Four weekend, the start of baseball and everything else going on? Well, the weather was cold in Florida. It was cold. Like, 
uh, abnormally cold for the times I've been there. It was a crazy week. I was at games, baseball, basketball. I met up with some friends. So, yeah, it was a, it was a wild week. My bracket completely. I was hanging on until the Zags went out. I had oh. Gonzaga winning the whole thing. And as soon as they went out, I think the person who did our pool that's going to win it has no Final Four teams in it. That's what's <laughs> going on this year. So I, it's wild. I am it's, in three different contests, three of them, three separate ones, where it is already decided before the Final Four because nobody has any Final Four teams in any of them. One of them's got like 49 entries, 49 entries, and none of the entries at least have their national champion, and if not all of them not having the Final Four at all. So you can go ahead and do the payout. Go ahead and, and decide. We have, it's crazy. We have over we have over 80 people. One guy has UConn. One. <laughs> so, and so. obviously not anybody has San Diego State, Florida Atlantic, or no. Miami, uh, as it turns out. And again, speaking of Florida, as we keep joking, how crazy. How, if, of all the uh, wild, nutty scenarios, how crazy if it's Florida Atlantic somehow beating San Diego State and then Miami knocking off UConn, and we get an all-South Florida a championship game in uh, in Houston for Monday right. night. Uh, who knows? Uh, I know. Right, so- my cousins, my cousins went to FAU, and they've been telling me for twenty years that this is a sleeping giant. Well, here they are. <laughs> twenty years later, they finally finally found the right combination of a couple of transfers, a big seven foot Russian, a really good coach, and a fairly easy relative schedule to be able to play their way into the NCAA tournament. And, uh, you know, it, it is, it, it's very interesting. Had they not beaten Alabama, Birmingham, UAB for the automatic bid, would the selection committee have put them in? The selection committee did not put UAB in, who had a comparable uh, net ranking and resume. Florida Atlantic, had they not gotten the automatic bid by winning the Conference USA Championship game, might not have even been in this tournament. And now they're in the Final Four. That's what it's all about this time of the year in March. All right, so Mike Gill. I want to bring you in, and this is normally what you and Phil do, so I hope I'm not preempting what's going to be on the Announcer Schedules podcast uh, in another day or so here on the on the feed. But I just couldn't wait, and I wanted to get your feedback on this, and you and Phil can obviously talk further about it, but I'm getting to you first. So the ending of San Diego State-Creighton was obviously controversial. The foul call on Creighton's Ryan Nimhard in the final second of the game puts the San Diego State player on the foul line, Darian Trammell, and he makes one of the two free throws, and that decides a Final Four spot. Okay, I have already said in numerous places, I believe it was the right call. So one, way in. As basketball aficionado, as basketball fan, as guy that hosts podcasts, as guy that's got brackets and pools and all of this for the, for the, for the March Madness, was that the correct call in your mind to put San Diego State on the line Sunday? Sadly, it was. I mean, I hate to call in that spot, but I mean, I think the referee, I think the key here is the referee seemingly was in good position to call the foul. He's right there looking at it. I mean, it makes the referee look terrible if he doesn't call the foul, right? Because of he's standing in a great position to watch it. And I think you listen to Gene's territory. Uh, he made the case that the left hand of Nemhard um, impacts the shot, which is kind of what happens here, right? I mean, it's the he's behind him, and his left hand kind of 
uh, gets in there, it impacts the shot a little bit. I hate that the game is decided that way, but, you know, it's funny. I heard Keyshawn Johnson talking about um, on KJM. He said the call in the Super Bowl was worse, a, a worse call in that moment. And I'm thinking, like, this call here is not a horrible call. Like, this is a normal flow of the game. That call is probably made all the time. We're having the conversation of because the timing and the time and the score and the magnitude of the game, right? And, you know, a lot of times these guys always say, well, sometimes you don't make that call in that spot. It's a, it's a pretty clear foul, don't you think? I thought so. And again, you're referencing the Eagles Chiefs, and there's some bitterness in and around Philadelphia, South Jersey, where Mike does uh, his stuff in his row uh, and, and his radio and his, uh, his podcasting. But in that case, uh, help me uh, with who the Eagle was, because it all runs together right now with March Madness. James he, Bradbury. Bradbury, right, admitted after the game, I grabbed him. Uh, now, was it blatant grabbing him? But he grabbed him. He grabbed, uh, it was Juju yeah. Smith-Schuster, who's now moved on from Kansas City after getting his ring. Uh, he grabbed him at the line of scrimmage, and that's the guy that Mahomes was trying to throw the ball to. Again, I'm a big believer. One more point on this, then I want to talk about the commentators. That's why we have you in here uh, for this. But I'm a big believer in things that happen in the final minute and the final seconds from a magnitude standpoint are much greater than anything earlier in a fourth quarter or a second half of a game, much less the first half of the game. This nonsense of let's compare to how the game was being called early in the first half that has nothing to do with the outcome. When again, San Diego State doesn't want to have to worry about winning the game in overtime. They're trying to win it right there. And if it's a foul, it's a foul. And it's more important than a foul that happened with six and a half minutes to go to the game. I've said my piece on that. One final thought on that. Yeah. I, and look, the game was physical all game long. It was a physical game. That's another thing. But uh, then there's the question of whether or not the shot was going to go in. I mean, all this stuff. It, it doesn't matter. The call, the foul was a foul. They're saying it was a foul, but you should have swallowed your whistle. It was a physical game. I think there was only 17 free throws all game long. So they were letting them play. And that was kind of the other argument. But I think the consensus, ultimately, most of the people that I've kind of listened to weigh in on this, was that it was a foul, but that the referee should let the let that have let them play in that situation. I mean, look, do I love that call? I hate how ticky tack they are with fouls sometimes, and that one to me is a ticky tack kind of foul. But it's a foul that at the eight minute mark of the game, they're probably making, and nobody's really complaining. Yeah, that's true, and the magnitude is not the same, and that's the whole point. I thought Jim Spinarkel was all over it. Uh, immediately and of course he was a scorer he was a player at Duke that loved to shoot loved to score they went in the studio and Clark Kellogg was a big time scorer at Ohio State and he said that, that's a foul he and uh, he and Barkley and Kenny Smith were going back and forth but Clark said immediately that's a foul now give me some on uh, Steratore because you guys on announcer schedules got the chance to interview him and I know you talked to him around Super Bowl time he's morphed into the second career as not only football analyst from an NFL referee standpoint, but he was a longtime college basketball official. How did you rate how he did on the CBS set immediately after all of that uh, was over with, with the San Diego state win, when he was there trying to point things out, I want your take on that. And then I'll follow up. Well, yeah. I, and I thought when you heard from Steratore, well, he made the case is what I said earlier. He made the case that the left hand of Nemhart. um, 
impacts the shot. He, he was showing like that left hand impacted the shot. And I think he accurately pointed that out. And again, it goes back to where the referee was in good position to make the call. And he's showing the left hand impacted the shot. Now, Barkley on T, the, the TBS set was trying to say, I think his whole thing was it didn't impact the shot because the shot fourth there. But I thought Steratore did a job explaining and showing why and where the impact of the foul, how it impacted the shot. He, he mentioned pretty um, – uh, I remember him kind of saying the left hand had how it impacts the shot there, and that's what you're you're taking a look at. And I think Barkley's looking at a player, and I look at it a player like a lot of that too. Like these guys call fouls or penalties in football or fouls in, in basketball that have no impact on the play. You know, the guy's sweeping right. to the right, and they call – foul on the left hash mark of the field and you're like that that block had nothing to do with that play there's so many times when a three-point shot goes the ball is way away and a guy's pinky finger kind of nicks the the arm and you're like that had no impact the ball has been released this here i think steratore accurately depicts that the left hand um the left hand of Nemhard, sorry, Nemhard's name mm-hmm. blank for me. The left hand of Nemhard, you can see on Trammell's hip, and that impacted the shot. Yep. And and again, Steratore was all over it on the review afterwards, which again was painful uh, on whether there was time left on the clock or not. Again, as I keep joking, I was in communication with people. I was in an empty house. I'm saying out loud in the empty house, the clock didn't start when he touched the ball. The clock right. didn't start. And finally, they came around to that point, and that's where they use the stopwatch. I don't know what – and again, you and Phil will talk more on the Announcer Schedules podcast on this podcast feed. I don't know what Kenny Smith was trying to point out about the stopwatch, and this is why we don't use a stopwatch in track and field, blah, blah, blah. What he's having to do with the stopwatch is just determine, does this take longer than 1.2 seconds? Click to click. Touching of the ball to the ball bouncing out of bounds. Did it take more than 1.2? Click, click. That's all I got to have. And once it took longer than that, the game is over. And you're really robbing San Diego State of the joy of jumping around in the moment and making them agonize over something that was the right call at the time, I thought, there, too. But, again, we're, we're going over this with Mike uh, because Gene Steratore was involved. And, again, the nuance of the rules analyst. And why do I get the feeling? I mean, we're going to see it in this Final Four in Houston where he's going to become prevalent on what's a big call because we review everything. I mean, for God's sake, we're almost we're almost reviewing uh, what color the tie is on a coach if he's wearing a tie anymore. We're reviewing it all. Uh, so I think Gene will probably be uh, part of that. All right, so let me move to another part of the conversation, and that's the ratings. So interesting that while powerhouse teams were not there, while, while the Blue Bloods of a Duke, a Kentucky, a Kansas, a Michigan State, a North Carolina, uh, a Syracuse, UCLA, all the ones that we always list, the, the programs that we know the most, they were not involved on Sunday. Yet, and I know the ratings were down compared to what it was on Sunday a year ago, down somewhat to Sunday a year ago, but you still look at the San Diego State uh, game with Creighton ends up getting over eight and almost eight and a half million people to watch in the middle of Sunday afternoon. And then the Miami-Texas game that follows had over 11 million people to watch. What do you think of my suggestion? I brought this up earlier in the podcast that CBS might be better served putting one of those games in prime time. Because, Mike, when you look at their prime time lineup from Sunday night, from 60 minutes 
down to their next two shows, The Equalizer and East New York or New York East, whatever that new show is with Jimmy Smith's copycatting NYPD Blue from 30 years ago, uh, whatever that is. Uh, those shows declined and declined. And, and I think the second show, the New York East show or East New York show was down to like 3 million people from the 11 million of the basketball game three hours earlier. My contention is CBS would be better served as the network and in charge of this, of putting that second game in prime time where they might get 14, 15 million people, even without a brand name. What do you think of that suggestion to put one game in prime time on the Sunday night of the elite eight? Yeah, I think it's a good idea. And I was thinking to myself, TJ, on Sunday that 2.30 was too early for a tip-off for the game. You know, it's the uh, East Coast here. The clocks are back. The sun is out later. We're trying to get some stuff done on this East Coast after we get consumed by football. So on a Sunday, 2.30, I wasn't quite ready to give up my day. I think the CBS, even the TNT game, if you gave it to us, you know, like a 5 and an 8.30 give us the opportunity uh you get two kind of prime time-ish games uh definitely and look i wouldn't be surprised if it's leaning in that direction considering the only thing anyone's watching on television anymore is live sports so i don't know uh that we're going to be too far off from seeing that final uh the, the elite eight game being in a prime time and even the final four i mean this weekend what do you have like a 609 is the first game. So I guess that's okay. Six, six Oh nine. And then right afterwards, you'll get the double dip there for the final four. Well, and again, you want close games and both games Sunday were close games. For example, the Yukon Gonzaga game was a blowout. And so it hurt the ratings obviously for the final hour, especially that it was on TBS, that it was on Turner on Saturday and Sunday night is the ultimate TV night, which is why Sunday night football does so well obviously for NBC. Again, Mike Gill, gracious to be with me uh, here. He and Phil DeMont Mullen do a great job. The announcer schedules podcast on this feed. Uh, Mike, again, uh, with the ESPN uh, affiliate in South Jersey. Love his insight as a radio host there. Love him on the podcast forum uh, with, uh, with all the different insight and the takes. I want to switch over uh, to football while I have you here for just a second. They are kicking around the idea right now in the offseason and at the NFL owners meetings as we speak about flex scheduling, not just for Sunday night football, and it's actually in the deal now for Monday night football coming up to be able to move a couple of Monday night games back to Sunday and switch a Sunday game to Monday. But now the suggestion is being made to flex a game out of Thursday for the Amazon Prime dismal lineup they had year one and flex a Sunday game potentially backwards three days to Thursday. And that is being met with some opposition, despite how much money is being thrown around by the networks. Mike, what is your take on that and uh, being in an NFL market and what it does to displace fans that are flying in, trying to see a game, stay in a hotel, paying for airfare, and now you may jumble those plans on just a couple of weeks' notice. What is your take? Yeah, and it's been put on the table for now. I would imagine the NFL is going to push hard for us. They did rule they are allowing teams to have two Thursday night games per year now. This was a you were only allowed to play. The limit was one. That has now changed. Now there were some teams that played Thanksgiving. That is not part of the Thursday night package. Right. The Thursday night Amazon package, you can now appear twice. I don't know how like we have a partnership with um Philly sports trips. I'll give them the free plug, right? Um, they run road trips. They pay for these things way in advance. You have to put your 
How do you tell the people, hey, the game's Thursday night or Sunday night or Sunday afternoon? Oh, it's getting moved to Thursday. You've got to rebook hotels, all that stuff. Now, the league is saying they would give 15 days notice. But a travel place like this, you're booking that stuff like as soon as that schedule comes out. You know, people are putting, I know for a fact, people are putting deposits on for Eagles road games now even before they know what date is and when they're playing. So uh, I, I don't I don't like the Thursday night game to begin with, but I'd rather them play. How do you like this, TJ? I don't need Thursday night football. Give me the weekly 9.30 in the morning London game. Mm. I'll take that on Sunday and go from 9.30 to midnight on a Sunday. <laughs> but that's the way I'd rather do it. The Thursday night game to me, um, I don't love it. I, it's not something that I have to have. And I certainly don't think flexing it is, is fan friendly. No, no doubt on that. And there's a lot of opposition. Some owners are definitely speaking out in the aftermath of this Wellington mayor of the giants being one of them. What are we doing to the fans? Amen. What are you doing to fans that have spent in some cases, thousands of dollars to fly, to stay, to get their game tickets and now suddenly the airline doesn't care. That's your point, Mike. And that's everybody's point. The airline doesn't care. And the hotel uh, is going to tell you, even if you booked it months in advance, if you're changing your reservation, we may not be able to accommodate you. And good luck. And in a world, and in a world where the travel industry is so upside down right now, the last thing they need is to have ticked off football fans <laughs> who need to change their travel uh, but can't because these airlines are so in – uh, incapable right now of handling traffic. And John Mara, the co-owner for the Giants, he said it is abusive to ticket holders for these games. If you're moving them, the, the word he used was abusive. Yeah. He said, at some point, can we please give some consideration to the people who are coming to the games? Amen to that. Finally, somebody stood up for the little guy and said, look, the fans do matter. And on Thursday night, if they bought that ticket in advance, don't make them change their lodging and their airfare. Uh, and one more for you, because it is baseball season coming up, and the Phillies are the defending NL champions. They open up in Texas. Uh, we've been talking some already on the program here about all the regional sports network mayhem with the Valley sports stuff. Now, that doesn't affect you guys, correct, in Philadelphia, per se, but I mean, no. there there's chaos right now to begin the baseball season, but it's about, I mean, it's about to start later this week before we even get to the final four games. We've got major league baseball games that are being played this weekend, uh, including as we get to Houston, the defending champion Astros are going to be raising the banner and giving the championship rings out. Are you ready for the baseball on TV and on radio and everywhere else in all the local markets and the national games? Uh, uh, yeah. You know, it's so weird with baseball. The Phillies played their final spring training game in Clearwater today. They're off on tomorrow, which is Wednesday. We're taping on Tuesday. They're off Wednesday, and they play a real game on Thursday. It is the weirdest, like, you know, you're playing in Florida in a 10,000-seat stadium on Tuesday, and on Thursday, you're playing a real game. The Phillies, by the way, are the first Sunday night baseball game this year. They are playing the, the Texas Rangers on Sunday night, so they'll kick off the Sunday baseball package. Yeah, I mean, this Bally sports thing is going to have a major, major major impact for teams like the pirates who depend they get millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars for these small market teams they get millions of dollars for their tv deal and they're not going to get that check 
Yeah, we were talking earlier in this podcast before you came on with a guy that's been writing about this uh, for Sportico.com, Kurt Bodenhausen, about it. And he said, look, some teams are going to be okay in the Bally's deal because they have streaming deals in there. And Bally's is not going to let that go away. But there's other ones like the Pirates, like the Texas Rangers, for example, where Bally's would just assume right now that the Pirates or the Rangers walk away, please, while we're in bankruptcy. So we don't have to deal with you and we don't have to pay you. Go find a deal with somebody else. And I don't know how quick the Pirates or the Rangers and others, the Twins, the Reds, whomever, are going to be willing to do that uh, coming up. So what a mess. I know know one of the teams that missed the payment was the Padres. They did not get a payment from uh, Bally Sports. Diamond Sports is who runs it. That's right. Uh, And the Padres missed their first rights fee payment. And these are the type of things that cripples those smaller. Now the Padres have a huge payroll. Mm-hmm. They are anticipating that money coming in. You mentioned Philadelphia. They are an NBC sports uh, affiliate who carries their games, who, you know, NBC has had their own issues. They shut down the radio division recently. They've been slashing local programming. I mean, they used to have local programming in Philly um, daily. They had, barely anything left anymore they used to have beat writers and reporters for almost every team they are getting slashed as well so i'm not saying that nbc is about to fold or go under or go to bankruptcy but the phillies have a much more stable situation than say the padres do that's right that's a big advantage well and the other thing is uh when you start getting into the whole payroll thing and we briefly talked about this with kurt you got a whole bunch of teams that are going to say this is not our problem that you entered into these deals and you don't have money coming from those deals. We did our own deals, and whoever's responsible, and if, they're, if their partner doesn't pay them, that's not up to us to subsidize you uh, through Major League Baseball. No, so but get, get ready for what, that squabble, too. When, when, when Yankee, when Yankee uh, Red Sox, Cub, Dodger uh, ownership comes to the table and says, wait a minute, this doesn't have anything to do with us and the deals you guys did, that's coming, yeah. too. Welcome to more of the mess. I, and I, but I, and I think what might happen here is Major League Baseball may try to step in here and take control of these broadcasts and somehow, you know, stream them, offer them in some capacity where all of them now are all streamlined into one spot where you can go onto a place and say Reds, Pirates, you know, are the Rays a uh, Bally sport? They are, and and currently, as Kurt was explaining it, they're not in jeopardy because the Rays. And Bally's have a streaming deal. And Bally's does not want to let that go. They don't care as much about over-the-air cable um, and, and that and that component. And so the, he was saying the raise payments won't be missed. The Braves payments won't be missed. They're going to take care of them first, the Marlins. But there's nine other ones they don't have a streaming deal with, like the Padres, like the Reds, like the Rangers. So good luck. Good luck with how this sorts out as baseball begins the season. And there's so many games on so many different directions, whether it be the networks or Apple Plus, um, YouTube TV. They've got them going every which direction. They got to figure it out. They got to figure that out. This guy figures it out with Phil DeMont Mullen. You guys do a fantastic job with announcer schedules. You'll be talking about the final four cruise. This is Jim Nance's final, final four in Houston. He was hoping his Cougars, his alma mater, would be there. They are not. It's Miami instead. But the final time that Jim Nance, uh, in 30, what, three years, final time that he'll be doing the final four. Uh, you guys will be talking about that, all the other announcers for all the different stuff, the start of the baseball season, et cetera, et cetera. Look forward to that. 
Mike, I always appreciate it. My friend, thank you for spending some time with me here as part of the Last Word on Sports Media podcast. I appreciate the insight. Do well, be well. Thank you, my friend. All right, TJ. Thanks for having me, man. There we go. Love the conversation with Mike. By the way, one more note, just to, to piggyback one more time on the Sunday night primetime stuff. How about the women's Elite Eight game uh, with Iowa? Uh, it got over uh, Caitlin Clark, the outstanding uh, scoring guard. Caitlin Clark and Iowa and that game on Sunday night after everything had settled down and no other real competition had over two and a half million people that were watching. It was the higher rated game than even the undefeated number one ranked team in the country, South Carolina and their game or any of the other games that were taking place, including LSU and women's action. Again, Caitlin Clark is a star. There's no doubt about that. Uh, great score for Iowa. Very fun to watch. Highly rated and appropriately so. 2.2 million viewers uh, that watched Iowa and Louisville on Sunday night. It only bolsters the argument that Sunday night on CBS, they could soar as well uh, with more than just the 11 million they got Sunday afternoon. Could easily get to 14, 15, 16 million with a close competitive game on Sunday. And even if it's not a competitive game, it's live sports. They'll easily get 12 or 13 million or more. And we'll see what happens in the women's final four Friday night. Uh, with ESPN and ABC, the women's final four with South Carolina and Iowa. That's a fascinating matchup for the uh, defending national champions unbeaten. They seem to be unbeatable playing Caitlin Clark and Iowa, LSU and Virginia Tech in the other semifinal game coming on Friday night. And then the winners play on Sunday night in Dallas, just north of Houston. Uh, so there you go. We've got the start to the baseball season coming uh, this weekend. And uh, also that final four that will be taking place this weekend as well. I'll be off to Houston, by the way. You can catch me on TuneIn Radio's coverage from the final four on the TuneIn channel, College Basketball Coast to Coast. The College Basketball Coast to Coast podcast as well will be live from Houston. Saturday preview show, Saturday night recap show. We'll be back Sunday with a live show. Be back Monday with a preview show and a Monday night championship game recap all at College Basketball Coast to Coast. Find it wherever you get podcasts. Find the TuneIn channel, College Basketball Coast to Coast. It's with TuneIn Premium. You've got to subscribe. But we'll be there live at the Final Four. I'll be there with Tyler Jones and other guests live in Houston with whatever happens between the San Diego State Aztecs, the Florida Atlantic Owls, the Miami Hurricanes, and the Yukon Huskies. It's the first time in 53 years, three first-time Final Four teams. 1970 is the last time three teams in the Final Four for the first time. Anything can happen. And we get a we get a first-time national championship game team for sure between San Diego State and Florida Atlantic. This is going to be crazy in H-Town in the Lone Star State. We'll be there this weekend. I'll report back on the last word on Sports Media Podcast about what it was like to cover it, et cetera. Looking forward to that. For now, thanks to my guest, Kurt Bodenhausen. Kurt with Sportico.com, writing on the baseball uh, regional sports networks and all of the uh, traumatic stuff with bankruptcy and rights fees. Kurt will stay all over that. I hope you enjoyed some of that. And yeah, it's a lot of numbers and a lot of baseball math, but it, it could greatly affect some of these teams and their payroll and their ability to pay players. And why do I get the feeling this is not the end of the mess? It's only the middle of the mess right now for Major League Baseball to solve it. Also, Mike Gill, uh, who's at the Mike Gill Show on Twitter, uh, Mike and Phil DeMont Mullen coming your way with the announcer schedules podcast here later in the week. They're going to talk about the final four announcers, major league baseball announcers, everything that's going on women's tournament 
uh, all of it with announcer schedules on this podcast feed. And one more reminder, go check out Jason Benetti with George Offman on this podcast feed. Jason of Fox Sports and the Chicago White Sox broadcast. What a great story. Jason, such a phenomenal guy off the air. I've been around him in public speaking situations. Uh, he is such a lovable, insightful guy. Uh, in addition to be a, being a very talented broadcaster uh, who has overcome what, what was a supposed disability or inability with cerebral palsy to turn himself into a network level sports play-by-play guy that's right up there with the best of the best with the way that he calls the games. Good on you, Jason Benetti, and hear more of his story with George and tell me a story I don't know, the podcast immediately preceding this one on the feed. Uh, Love George, love that insight. We love you being with us for the Last Word on Sports Media podcast. Thanks to my guests. We thank you for listening. Make sure you're following or subscribing. Find us as well, lastwordonsports.com slash podcast. Find us wherever you get podcasts, though, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We'll come back next week off the final four off of me having been in Houston to report back with you on that, the start to the baseball season. It's the Masters next week as well. A tradition like uh, like, uh, no other. A tradition unlike any other. Hello, friends. It's the Masters. We'll talk about that next week as well, I'm sure, on the Last Word on Sports Media Podcast. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.